Last Wednesday, a gunman opened fire on Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in South Florida, killing 17 civilians. In the following six days, many of the talking points from the left and from the right have remained the same, but larger questions loom over the cloud of high school kids on CNN and Republicans on the defensive. The killer has already confessed and will likely rot in prison, but just like the Orlando shooter, the FBI knew the Florida killer was a problem. People saw, people reported, but who listened? With scores dead or injured and an all-right theory already proposed and debunked, this massacre has raised countless questions that we'll be discussing today. I'm Tiana Lowe. I'm Avery Hogarth, and this is the Political Pregame. Sit down and have a drink with us. After a week of cable news personas, interest groups, and of course, President Trump delivering their spiciest hot takes for an immense tragedy, you'll need it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Tiana and I are sorry about the delay in getting another episode out to you. We actually had a great episode recorded last week with Elliot Hamilton from The Daily Wire and had everything recorded and we're mixing it. And unfortunately, my computer crashed and we lost all the audio files. So we've been scrambling to get everything back together to get out some great content again for you guys. Um... On today's episode, we will essentially just be focusing on the Florida shooting and the tragedy that has occurred there and the gun control debate surrounding that. Uh, So it might be a shorter episode, but to be honest, in comparison, nothing else seemed relevant than this news cycle in particular, this news story rather in particular. So Tiana, how about you just take us through um, kind of what's going on? Okay, so... This guy, who I think it is fair to say that we should not name in light of um, how these mass shootings tend to play out in terms of there being copycat killers. So from here on out, I guess we'll just refer to him as the Florida shooter. So the Florida shooter was a problem child. This is someone who it seems as though was institutionalized when he was much younger. The FBI received multiple notices that he was not only posting things on social media, but bragging about his gun collection and talking about being a school shooter in real life. Um, The local authorities knew about him and nothing was done. So as a conservative, my instinct is to ask, where did the community not step in voluntarily? But they did step in. So then my second question is, why was nothing acted upon? So right now, a lot of what the mainstream media has been focusing on is gun control in this sort of vague sense. And in some cases, that's a fair point to make. You know, like you need to have a broader conversation at times. Like I think that the whole bump stock conversation after the Las Vegas shooting was fair because this guy had basically turned every semi-automatic into an automatic weapon. But in this case, every competent federal agency in the universe should have taken this guy down before the fact, but the government did not do their job. The FBI knew about him and did nothing. And so now we're sort of stuck in this position where I think that there are two conversations going on. There are these kids on CNN who survived the shooting and no one should be disparaging their feelings at all. Obviously, they've just been through this insanely emotional and immense tragedy and they deserve our sympathy, but they're not policy experts. So it's easy to trot them out and have them say, we need gun control now. My question is, what gun control do we need if the federal government is clearly unable to even follow 
procedures that are already instated. Yeah, well, I mean, with the FBI, definitely they dropped the ball. I think it's hard to really know. It's hard for myself to really have a strong opinion on whether or not they could have done more um, or less, given privacy restrictions, given the information that they did know. They basically just got a tip uh, to put it to put some context to it for those of you who don't know all the details, because I know it's tough with there's, you know, articles being pumped out every five minutes on this. Um, The tip off to the FBI was from a YouTube comment made by the shooter on someone's video who he did not know, uh, saying that I'm going to be a professional school shooter. The YouTuber who owned the video and had that shooter comment on it, then alerted the FBI, sent the screenshot and the FBI handled the investigation from there. It's tough to know. I think the bigger issue revolves around mental health. It revolves around why have there been 1,600 mass shootings in the United States since the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting and explaining that. And it it definitely does have, gun control has to come into question and policy has to come into question too. There are simply too many people dying in the states there are simply too many mass shootings in comparison to around the world and other countries of similar comparison but okay if you look at the breakdown of all gun violence in this country and and deaths as a result of gun violence the overwhelming majority comes from suicide which is primarily men and uh gang violence and domestic violence so with as far as domestic violence goes There is the boyfriend loophole where boyfriends are often not as... Girlfriends are not as protected from their boyfriends if they're victims of domestic violence as wives are from husbands. So there are a number of policy prescriptions that already just need to be seamed up. You have gang violence, and there is the arguable case that Heather McDonald makes that the Ferguson effect of Black Lives Matter has been... Uh, descaling police presence in neighborhoods that are prone to gang violence, and as a result, that gang violence then thrives. And then you have suicide, which really comes down to mental health and focusing on men, and that's not really a sexy issue for any side. Let's be real. We're not, we're, we don't focus our attentions on men, really, when it comes to things of mental health. So, so that leaves us with these, these sort of rare mass shootings, Obviously, any death as a result of a mass shooting is one too many. And any death with regards to gun violence is a horrible tragedy and should be avoided in any possible way. But you see these kids on CNN from Parkland talking about how these this Florida House of Representatives were voting against them by not voting to ban assault rifles. And luckily, assault rifles... So in the media... People in the mainstream media tend to use assault weapon and assault rifle interchangeably. This is not true. Assault rifle is a very technical term that refers to short, compact, selective fire weapons that fire a cartridge, intermediate, and power between submachine gun and rifle cartridges. Whereas an assault weapon is really based, the term refers to cosmetic features rather than actual functionality. Now, the Florida House of Representatives voted against an assault rifle ban, and Everyone is sort of railing against this. This forgets two things. One, that the Florida shooter had grenades with him. That if he had detonated, probably would have killed the same amount of people. But also that 
gun violence kills disproportionately more people with handguns and shotguns than with assault rifles. Yes, no doubt about that. You're never going to solve the issue of guns on a broad sweeping level with one policy that all of a sudden takes away all murders, homicides, suicides, whatever, um, whatever violence a gun can inflict. But I come from the standpoint of whatever we can do to mitigate any risk at all, even however small that may be in comparison to the murder rate um, with handguns and gang violence versus the murder rate on um, assault rifles and mass shootings, any life is worth any any yeah. life is worth is worth worth saving, and so on that standpoint, let's impose some things that produce hurdles that make it harder for these people to get guns. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's the argument that oh well, criminals are going to get guns anyways. You can get them on the black market, whatever. But I don't care to be honest. If there are policies in place that make it harder, that is going to limit getting a gun for maybe one person, and that's all it takes. Um, There's kind of a lot of different schools of thought in terms of policy and people's proposals from the left and the right. Tiana, I'd like your take on what would your ideal gun policy proposal be? Okay, so I... I am I'm a Second Amendment absolutist who also understands that there needs to be restrictions that are imposed on a specific basis. So... David French is a piece in National Review on a gun control measure that conservatives should consider. And I, this is something that I feel like I've, I've sort of thought about for a while and I've wondered, why is there no formal recourse for individuals who have a classmate that they think is like deranged in some way or is mentally unwell or has been saying things? Why, why is your only option just to tell your principal or tell a cop and have it maybe go nowhere? Because clearly this happens. Or even tell the FBI. Yeah. So, exactly. So what the gun violence restraining order does, and it's already instituted in California, is it's a, it's a due process approved method of restricting an individual from acquiring a gun. So it acts similar to a restraining order in that you have to specifically file a restraining order against a person with a specific amount of evidence, unless if you try and get an ex parte injunction, which basically means that a court order is approved before trial, but the trial is to be scheduled within 72 hours or something something really soon after. And... It's so as as David French uh, details it, it should be limited to a narrowly defined class of people. He says close relatives, those living with a respondent. I think it could be expanded in high schools, maybe to classmates. Um, But that's just how he relays it. And then you have to have a clear, convincing standard. So that's what's usually used. um, That's used in some civil procedures. And uh, so clear and convincing is greater than preponderance of evidence. Uh, It's a higher burden of proof, but it's not a full beyond reasonable doubt. So it it is a little bit more expansive. And it needs to grant the respondent opportunity to contest the claims against him, so it's not a violation of of a respondent's due process rights. And uh, the order is temporary. So it could be up to a year, it could be up to five years, but it's not forever. To me, this seems... To be something that would require the courts and the FBI to follow up on. And clearly that's a problem. Clearly the fact that that there are so many... I mean, 
how many dozens of times were the cops called to this kid's house? It, 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 this is just a... And, and the problem with this is that you know that if there's one of these guys who actually had the, the masochism to shoot up a school, to kill 17 people, you know that there are other people who have also fallen through the cracks and maybe don't have the capacity to do that but are still equally deranged and need to have the government look out for them. So, so, so I guess I would say something like this, something that is a formal form of recourse for individuals to call out specific people, I think increased background checks. I am not, for a conservative, I'm probably not the biggest gun nut. I believe in the Second Amendment, but I am not coming from L.A. I do not have a lot of history with, I do not have a concealed carry license because they're very hard to get here. Um, I don't have any, I have no relation to the NRA or anything, but the peer-to-peer gun sales seem to me an easy way for someone who would otherwise not be able to get a gun to be able to get a gun. But these are specific incremental changes. I think that the fundamental understanding should be everyone has the right to have a gun. If you cannot pass a background check, you should not be able to get one. If you, if someone files a specific claim against you, it should inhibit potentially your ability to get a gun. My problem is when CNN cannot make their own arguments for why there should be X reform. So instead they trot out a traumatized high school student and just say, we need gun control now. What gun control? And that's, and that's what I'm saying. I, I like, I like debating the specifics. Yeah, definitely. And I think... What frustrates me the most and frustrates a lot of people the most after these mass shootings is you hear this immense rhetoric afterwards of, okay, let's talk about gun control. We need change. Everyone's giving speeches. You know, as you said, there's Mm. all of these moving episodes, CNN bringing out kids who are at the shooting, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then somehow the storm clears and then nothing gets done. Yeah. I mean... 50 people were shot and killed in the Vegas massacre not too long ago, just months ago. Yeah. And the gun control debate had already fizzled out into seemingly oblivion. And now we have this, which is actually kind of interesting to me. I mean, obviously, it's different with this being a school shooting and children. I think this hits harder to home for everyone, regardless of partisan ties or anything that it may be. Um, But I've seen more actual thoughtful calls to action as a result of this mass shooting and we're not even that far out from it right now rather than the vegas shooting um the women's march organizers have planned the national school walkout which is supposed to be taking place on march 24th um entitled march for our lives uh we can get into that in a second but what i would like to say is i think kind of this um for lack of a better term this gun I guess, restraining order for certain individuals is a great step in the right direction. I don't think it should be up to states to have to impose this legislation. I think this should be done on a federal level, sweeping across the U.S. Um, Regardless if you're Republican, Democrat, if you're a gun owner or not, um, gun supporter or not, amendment supporter or not, I don't really understand how anyone could not be on board with this. And that's why I think it was a great piece from the National Review um, for kind of the conservative yeah. support of gun control. Um, I come from a bit more of an aggressive standpoint. Uh, when I think about Canada and the 28.2% of the Canadian population that owns guns, which relative to the rest of the world is quite a large number, um, compare that to 36% of the American population, that's not really too far off. And when I think about 
how in America, the gun homicide rate is nearly six times that of Canada. I question, well, what are the factors that result in this? Um, and, and so you have to look at what are the gun law differences between the two countries when there are at least comparable amounts of the population that own guns in yeah. terms of a percentage yeah. base. Um, in Canada, there are definitely severe restrictions on automatic weapons, the ability to add enhancements to a gun to make it automatic, um, as well as barrel length restrictions, all potentially contributing factors. And that's important to note and look at. Obviously, you're not going to be able to completely understand the issue of why gun violence occurs because it's much more comprehensive than simply having a certain type of weapon goes into the mental psyche of the person who decides to use it in a lethal way. Uh, However, that is something that is a contributing factor and I don't think can be overlooked. Um, I think that thoughts and prayers are great, but also policy is probably what carries more weight as well. And I think oftentimes when uh, specifically those on the left try to bring up gun control after those on the right um, call on the left to stop politicizing a mass shooting or a tragedy or whatever it may be. But I would like to argue, is the topic of gun control really politicized? I have some research from Pew that did a great job uh, compiling a bunch of data um, that I would just like to share with everyone. Um, So they basically looked into the partisan gap in the views of concealed carry among um, the widest on on gun policy proposals based on partisanship. So for preventing the mentally ill from purchasing guns, 89% of Democrats were in favor of this, as well as 89% of Republicans. For barring gun purchases by people on no-fly or watch lists, 85% of Democrats were in support of this, compared with 82% of Republicans. Okay, pretty great support on both sides across the board. Now when you go into background checks for private sales at gun shows, again, 90% of Democrats are in support of this, 77% of Republicans, a majority of Republicans. And then the final point I'll add is on banning assault-style weapons, 80% of Democrats are in favor of this, and 54% of Republicans, still a majority of the Republican base. So then you go into the topic of, okay, well, if for the most part... Republicans are in favor of gun control. Why aren't Republican legislatures and, or sorry, people in, in Republican elected offices not really pushing for this? And so there's a lot of data on that. And basically, it goes to show that 21% of gun owners have contacted public officials um, compared to just 12% of non gun owners in the past 12 months in the wake of these shootings. So basically, it goes to the theory of people who own guns are more likely to contact those in elected office and those in government, and that could potentially skew Republicans and elected officials' opinions on where their constituents and where their voters stand on gun control. Well, I mean, okay, the same case could be made for anyone who is protected by the DREAM Act or by executive amnesty. You know, the same case could be made for anyone who receives food stamps, for anyone who views what they have as a, as a courtesy of the government, as a tenuous right or privilege, so it 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 calls into question. So, for one thing, I would just like to make a brief note about the NRA because I have no professional ties to the NRA. 
I think the NRA is a perfectly fine organization that receives way too much hate just given how much power it actually exacts. The reason why the NRA is so powerful is not because they have that much money. The NRA has spent a couple million over the last few decades, whereas unions, other companies have spent billions. You know, I mean, like, if you compare the Koch brothers On to the NRA. On political campaigns, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you compare the Koch brothers or George Soros or the unions to the NRA, the NRA does not have much financial power at all. People don't even really donate to the NRA. The only reason why the NRA has support is because there is a large portion of America that views gun ownership as a right, not just for self-defense, but the idea that if the government, if, if Trump and Pence were to literally turn America into the handmaid's tale... They would like to be able to overpower them if they felt their rights were being infringed upon. And I think that's perfectly valid. That being said, the NRA has and has always had a tendency to be toned up at these moments. What they did after the shooting was they waited a couple of days and their first tweet was 10 hours ago. And it was an arms and a hashtag armed citizen was in the right place at the right time saving a mother and her daughter. Hashtag 2A. Hashtag NRA. That is not okay. the point of what and, just and, occurred, and, NRA. And, thank you. Well, okay, no. And here, here's here's my point. So, one, it's true that sometimes an armed citizen can save dozens of lives. That happened in Sutherland Springs in Texas a couple months back. And that was amazing. And the fact is that if, if the man who saved everyone in Sutherland Springs didn't have his gun, double to triple of the of more people in that church would have died. But the point of the NRA is just to emphasize that, right? It is to explain to the American people the underlying purpose of the Second Amendment, which is the idea that we are, America is the bastion of freedom. And if our government ever went tyrannical, if Pence really did want to give everyone gay conversion therapy, which I don't think is possible or feasible, but if that were the case, we would have the right to bear arms and protect ourselves against those rights. Or for those rights. So that, that's, that's just one point just, just briefly about the NRA. Another is about the specific conversation of, of gun control. The difficulty with the Vegas shooting is that the Vegas shooter was so unique in the sense that he was diagnosed with mental illness. There were not complaints against him. He seemed quiet. He had money. A lot of the people who are investigated are people who, like, express a lot of disturbance. He did not. So the difficulty is that most of the bans, or most of the regulations that people discuss, expanding background checks, gun show loopholes, um, everything of the like, they wouldn't have changed anything with the Vegas shooter. This case with the Florida shooter... There are so many obvious things that weren't even about the existing regulations, but just about the FBI responding agents who should have turned this over to the individual field office not doing their jobs. And that's why I think this has people so heated, because this is like a Larry Nassar case where the FBI knew and waited and didn't do anything. And as a result, people people's lives were ruined. Well, what I would like to add about the Vegas shooter is... Although the policy proposals that you said would not have stopped, you know, what happened from occurring, what a policy proposal that would have stopped that would have been the limit on those type of automatic weapons that he used as mass killing machines in what she used, what, over nine? Yeah. He had over nine automatic weapons ready to go yeah. that could fire hundreds of rounds of bullets. Yeah, which, which, which is a question to call with the ATF in terms of... In order to get 
actual automatic weapons, you need a special... I, I believe that I might be messing up the terminology, but I believe it's a special kind of license in order to purchase automatic weapons from the ATF. A semi-automatic and an automatic are different. Yeah. In terms of a semi-automatic only does a round each time the, the trigger is pulled, whereas an automatic will, if you pull it, it will continue to go until it's out. Um, and, and that is something where it's... This guy was either the greatest sociopath of all time or there is still questions that remain unanswered in terms of how he he was able to be licensed by the ATF and receive multiple automatic weapons, yeah, which have otherwise been banned since the 1930s Well, for the average civilian. Also, uh, it shouldn't go unsaid that a lot of mental health goes unnoticed, and yes. you don't necessarily need to be exhibiting a lifetime or a path of you know deranged behavior in order to have a breakout episode that can result in you know, what happened at the Vegas massacre yeah. um, or the Vegas shooting. And so mental health obviously exists if you're willing to yeah. kill 50-plus people or kill anyone. Yeah. Um, but it's extremely difficult to track. That's why potentially background checks or mental health checks aren't necessarily enough because yeah. if someone's not presenting, then what do you do, right? So they're still having access to these guns. That's what my major issue is. It's funny because when you look at, and actually, you know what, uh, to digress a bit, I am very, I was, I'm, I'm very pleased and optimistic uh, with Trump's response in uh, today. He Banning said that he stocks. wrote a memo to, to Sessions to ban bump stocks. I mean, right now that's just words. I would love to see the policy behind it, but this is finally a step in the right direction, um, which is kind of funny that this didn't necessarily happen after Vegas. Uh, to kind of throw just another idea at you guys, um, in 1996, a man in Australia basically walked into a cafe, pulled out a semi-automatic rifle, and killed 35 people. This was the worst mass shooting in Australia's history, which I wish could be said the same for the U.S., although it'd be great to have no mass shootings. Um, their response was instead of, you know, this kind of political back and forth on policy, their response was basically a ban on certain types of firearms, um, including automatic and semi-automatic rifles, um, that the Australian government actually confiscated 650,000 of these guns um, in which it bought them back and purchased them back for market value from the people that own them. And Australia saw that this resulted in a firearm homicide rate drop by about 42% in seven years after the law was passed. I don't think that's something that could happen in the States, but that is just, I'm just providing context to what, what could happen given different policy so, prescri like prescriptions. Wait. Um, in the state, but Australia doesn't have the same constitutional, um, you know, entanglement that the U.S. government does have with guns, so it was easier for them to do that. Wait, okay, just to clarify, because these are not statistics that I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm specifically familiar with. Yeah. Is this the homicide rate, or is this the gun death rate? Australia's firearm homicide rate dropped. Okay. Okay, because, like, again, as, as I previously reiterated, the, the overwhelming cause of gun deaths in America are suicides, gang violence, domestic violence. Like, the whole, like, mass shooting phenomenon yeah. is obviously tragic, but just not the brunt of it. But my thing with... We're already seeing terrorist attacks in places like France and places like Berlin with trucks and knives. And so there are other ways to commit terrorist attacks. There are other ways to kill yourself. There are other ways to commit domestic violence. Gang violence is the only one to me that seems pretty specifically gun-based. 
And the gun buyback program even only cleared out, what, a third of all guns in Australia? I think uh, it was a third. I don't have data on how many guns were in Australia, but 650,000 guns were bought back. I believe it was a third of the all guns in Australia, but I'm not positive. Yeah. I could be wrong. So the question that I, I think that this is something that I, I, I'm hoping that more people ask themselves, not about like how they've specifically operated, but about how society operates at large. At what rate do we, do we ask for individual civilians to be able to check their fellow man and that be the impetus for protection, you know, for something like these gun violence restraining orders and for something like someone who they know, like is beating up their girlfriend, then being able to step in and protect another woman or reporting someone who has suicidal tendencies and that because right now the rules for involuntary uh, asylum or for involuntary um not confinement. I don't know why I'm using such a medieval words. But for... Because uh, <laughs> these are all, like, the words, like, they use in, like, the, like, Middle Ages, like, Victorian era in Europe. Um, but basically, in order to institutionalize someone against their will... Yeah. It's very specific. And how how you can achieve that. It's, it's hard to do. You have to prove the person is a danger to themselves or others in the immediate. Like, they are going to, like, slit their own wrists and die. Or they're going to kill someone else and die. And even so then, there's a limit on how long yeah. that person can be kind of held. Yeah, it's well. 48 hours, I think, in America. Uh, maybe 72. Yeah, yeah, 72 cents more, right? So, and ov- and obviously, this this is a country that's based on freedom over security, and there's always going to be a gamble with that. But if we're seeing that there is a fatal flaw in the system where people are reporting people like the Florida shooter multiple times. The FBI knew about the Orlando shooter. The FBI had, I believe, knew about the San Bernardino shooter. All of these persistent... I I believe they also knew about um, the Sandy Hook shooter. They keep on hearing all these things, but there's no formal course of action, at least even in a civil court, to prevent something like gun ownership rather than incarceration. If... This form of, like, if people engaging in their civic duty to look out for their fellow men, men and women, if they're not listened to, what hope is there to entrust the federal government with more responsibility to protect people? Well, again, I think it's much easier to be proactive rather than reactive. So when you, when, whether it be a police unit or the FBI or even just a person, when you hear of someone having these mental outbreak episodes, it's much more difficult to be reactive and try to stop that in its tracks uh, while still adhering to the law and still respecting that person's privacy as granted to them. And so I come from the standpoint of let's be proactive. Let's make it so that this person cannot have access to something that could mass murder people if we can do that. Um, And also, I think inherently, people don't have enough faith in humanity, nor does the justice system, nor does, um, you know, the legal system to wholeheartedly believe that uh, 
if you see something, say something and protect thy neighbor really works all the time and people do it all the time. So I think that's when laws step into place because if everyone said something when they saw something and if everyone protected thy neighbor, we wouldn't really need laws to begin with. But um, just to contest this, and and, and I I contest this with love because I think that we're doing a lot better than MSNBC today, who was it, Katie Tour, who said, do you care more about guns or kids? I think that this is, I'm actually very heartened by like how this um, exchange has gone, especially considering how politicized it's gone over like the last like few days. But people did say something. I think it's just a matter of people need to feel empowered that if they do say something, something else will happen. And that goes across the board for just so many issues. Yeah. Even that transcend beyond gun control itself. Uh, I would still like to touch on uh, this national school walkout, um, which is being called March Mm -hmm. for Our Lives. It's been planned by the Women's March organizers. um, And basically it calls for students, faculty, parents, and others, anyone else, to walk out of school for 17 minutes on March 24th, uh, which means one minute for each person who was killed in the Florida shooting. They're, you know, they only launched this kind of movement um, maybe even just a couple days ago. And there's already been tons of money raised for it. I know Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg, among among others, celebrities have already raised over $2 million for the cause. Um, But, you know, if any of you tuned into our episode on the Women's March and kind of other organized (laughs) events like this, uh, you know, sometimes we have different standpoints on these. So, Tiana, I'd like your take on this. I am not inherently opposed to marches. My always my question about marches and about protests are what specifically are you opposed to? Or what specifically are you marching for? Again, the issue with trotting out 16-year-olds, and believe me, I was a very politically active 16-year-old. I cared a lot, and I read a lot, and I like to believe I was a smart 16-year-old, but when it came to individual policy prescriptions, I was probably not the person to ask. I had a rough understanding of some things I liked. Some things I stayed exactly the same on, some things I evolved on, but it's not as though like my opinions should have been thrown out. And I think that especially these people's experiences should be listened to when they say this is what it was like with the first responders and this is what it was like with the FBI and this is what it was like with um, the Florida Police Department. I think they should be listened to. But to trot out these kids saying gun control now and asking, okay, what kind of gun control? And then if you ask what kind, you are attacking the children. No, you're not. It's just if CNN wants to trot out these kids and have them be the voice of policy, they need to have policies. And right now it doesn't seem as though they have policies. It seems it, it, it honestly seems like like these news anchors have adopted the Brett Stevens position of abolish the fir- uh, abolish the Second Amendment and then have individual states create gun protections. And that just is too broad. We are not a country that is going to abolish the Second Amendment. If you look at the breakdown of the map and, it, and what it takes to remove an amendment from, from our Constitution, it's just too difficult. Well, also especially with a Republican-held um, Congress and House. No, but not even with, like, today, but yeah. with just, like, what's, like, the fact... Like, I think it'd be much easier... To, like, think about it. Like, gay marriage is something that was not accepted 30 years ago, and now the majority of Americans are supportive. Gun ownership is very different. It is about taking rights away from individuals rather than giving it to other people. We are more than welcome to give rights to other people. That it, that sits well with the American conscience. And I think it's why 
we move to what I believe to be the right opinion on allowing gays to get married and allowing transgender people to affirm their own identities. Taking away rights is a very different question. And that's, I think, the problem that these gun marches, I understand their agony and I understand their pain. They just saw 17 of their peers and, and teachers lose their lives. And it's totally sympathetic. And I think, like, the whole Dinesh D'Souza, like, like attack on these students is disgusting. But if the mainstream media is just going to hide behind their pain and say, see, you guys have to do something, well, what do you want them to do? Well, I don't necessarily think it's it's trotting uh, these kids out or, who any, or whoever wants to march um, on March 24th. I think they're trotting themselves out. They It's, it's not compulsory it's voluntary and so same thing with the women's march if you feel like you are passionate about this topic and you have something to say or something to represent or something to support then go ahead and do it and I think it's less of a policy proposal um, and more of raising awareness and giving an actual visual and physical aid or representation to the gravity of this issue um, to see uh, physically how many people really care about this and how many people feel personally affected by this. Yeah. And I think that carries great weight when looking towards policy and maybe in turn inadvertently that affects policy when seeing how many people are affected. But gosh, the stories that have come out um, you know, from parents that have been sending their young children to school, it's real, right? There are so many kids who are scared. I mean, I read a story today that... Um, a little girl who had light up sketchers and was eight came home crying to her mother saying that she needed new shoes and like all eight-year-olds the mother thought that she was just being an overzealous kid who wanted the latest trendy shoes and she was crying and said at school when they went to their gun safety briefing um, that usually happens at a lot of schools in the wake of you know more shootings like this they said that in event of a shooting her light-up shoes would give her away and the shooter could kill her to an eight-year-old girl. Which which brings into question why we... Okay, so public schools are funded by the government, either local, state, plus federal. Why don't we also pay for armed security guards? Why don't we arm our teachers? And that's a different question, like, to ask. Because I don't think that sends the right message. I don't think a kid should be walking into a school through a metal detector and viewing armed security guards with guns on them. But I know schools that do this in, like, for instance, like Manhattan. Manhattan, there are tons of schools that do this. And it's not as though their kids are any worse off. And I, I think, so I think, though, if you live in the city, you accept certain things that yeah. come along with that, living, you know, in a diversely populated, dense area with higher crime rates. But for people who move out to the suburbs or the countrysides, you're, not ex- you're, ex- you're expecting a quiet life. You're expecting a life in which you can be with your family, that you can send your kids, they can walk to school by themselves, and you can be at peace with that throughout the day. Yeah. That's something that we're not seeing, and that is something that is fundamentally wrong. And I don't think violence gets solved with more violence. And, okay, maybe not violence, but I don't think guns get solved with more guns. Okay, so I, I think that's something where we disagree. But 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 I guess I would like to end on a final note. So, because I, I think we disagree on sort of the idea of more versus less guns. But, all right, so Avery, 
in your like perfect world, not perfect, but in a realistic world where we still have Trump as president, we have two Republican House, Senate, and the judiciary as it stands. What would you see as something that could potentially and feasibly be passed in terms of preventing this sort of gun violence? Well, it's actually interesting. This is kind of topical. Um, Looking back last year around this time for one of my political science classes, I wrote and did a big research paper paper on a um, policy proposal to the Democrats in wake of the 2016 election and what their strategy should be on gun control. And it went as follows. I think gun control, uh, obviously, you know, I'm coming from the side of a more leftist argument with all of my proposals that I've given throughout this podcast in terms of rather than um, kind of the Republican measures, I have advocated for gun restrictions rather than you know, background checks or whatever it may be. And so with that, you focus on it from a state level at this point. Uh, You're not going to get that passed with a Trump administration. With the Trump administration, you try to get past what you can. If you're a Democrat, you advocate for what you can and you do what you can um, and you take what you can. And so that might be bump stocks, um, which Trump has just, you know, released a memo on. Um, At the state level, in blue states, you try to pass as much gun control as you can. I mean, we talked about how in California and what was it, 2014, that they passed kind of this um, gun restraining order. I think that's great. And I think you try to do that in more states. I would like to see all Democrats and all Republicans who believe in this kind of new gun restraining order legislation, which I think is nonpartisan. I think everyone should believe in that, regardless of your ideologies. I think that is what's pushed for at the state level. And beyond that, let's push for that at the federal level at this point. I can see Trump getting behind that. I can see a Republican House getting behind that. And I think that's the priority. Get that passed at the federal level. Let's get this going and let's spread it across the U.S. Yeah. So I would say there are two things I would be interested in. One, I want the federal government specifically to focus more on addressing when individuals raise concerns about fellow Americans. That needs to happen, and if that comes in the form of the gun violence restraining order, so be it. I'm totally there for it, and I would love for my senators in California to vote for that, if that ever comes to the table. Second... I would love for the NRA to take a listen to what media, what conservative media figures are doing in terms of reminding Americans why the Second Amendment is important. I think that the NRA does a lot of good, but I also think that the NRA has sort of become more of a political arm rather than a policy arm in the sense that a lot of the NRA's ads is about fake news. A lot of the NRA's ads are about things that are unrelated to why the Second Amendment is a right and not a privilege. And and I understand it's because the NRA is always under attack, and I guess because the Second Amendment is always under attack, and I understand why that's what they're coming from. But I think it's really important. You see people like Charles C.W. Cook at NR and Ben Shapiro at The Daily Wire and Steve Kukowski at uh, Washington Free Beacon constantly reminding people that the Second Amendment is not there just because... Just if a cop isn't there to get you first. It is about if the government ever goes full Handmaid's Tale or full whatever dystopian society you want to relate it to, full in 1984, that you that you do have a right to defend your, your own rights. Um, 
And I think that we've completely lost sight of that. And it's easy just to say, oh, I hate the kids. They just don't get it. But if you're not educating them, if you're not explaining to these high school students why it's important to have a right to defend your not only your physical self, but your God-given rights, if you don't explain that, then of course they're going to defend the Second Amendment. And why would you expect them to if you are not doing your job properly? So I guess I would just urge these interest groups to listen a little more to these individuals who've done a really good job of outlining why these are important rights. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess those are the two things. It's it's the private sector call and the public sector call. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's sort of my take on it. Absolutely. Well, obviously, next time uh, you guys hear from us, we hope that we will never have to talk about an issue like this and never give another, another podcast on this. Um, so hopefully the measures are put in place that make America and the rest of the world as safe as it can be. Um, next week, we'll be back to our regular scheduled programming. We're hoping to get Elliot Hamilton from The Daily Wire back on the show. Hopefully no issues this time. Um, but until then, uh, as always, be sure to subscribe us, toss us a rating um, on iTunes or SoundCloud, whatever your preferred platform is, um, as well as catch us on Twitter at Tiana Lowe, or sorry, at Tiana the First and at Avery Hogarth. Um, but until next time, we will see you guys later.